Welcome to the Bonsai Time Podcast, the monthly everything bonsai and more podcast. In today's episode, we introduce ourselves, your hosts, Kevin and Ryan, and we discuss our bonsai journey, and we will also touch on our goals for this podcast. Hey, my name's Kevin. I'm Ryan. Welcome to Bonsai Time, a everything about bonsai and more podcast. Accurate summary, yeah. That's the plan anyways. Yeah. Um, this will be our first inaugural vlog, as well as our podcast of introduction, and then you'll see uh, some wonderful things come out. Um, what do you think about anything else, Ryan? Uh, I think this is very beginning stages, so it's kind of a great experiment for us, but uh, should have some bonsai interviews, some, some reflections from our own work in bonsai, and uh, today we're just going to focus on introducing ourselves and then uh, from there on we'll be experimenting with with all these different ways of getting you all useful information about how to make your bonsai trees more better mm -hmm. as Dan would say well and also to expand on the interviews we'll expand with uh, the idea of interviewing people who have made an impact on bonsai whether they be newly acquired professionals in the United States maybe some around the world uh, or some history makers as we like to call them the uh, history makers being people that have had such an impact that they are still living and ongoing with their bonsai practice. Um, so those will be coming in in soon episodes. Um, so as we start, like I said, my name is Kevin. It's Ryan. Mm -hmm. um, uh, before we start, Kevin, I want to ask, just in terms of like the general release schedule for this podcast, how many uh, interviews have you recorded so far? See, I've recorded probably about three to four interviews now, mm. um, which we wanted to get enough for all of you out there who will be listening to have some wonderful uh, ear time to listen to what we are talking about with the people that have influenced us as well. Um, we're very excited to bring you all this and we're excited for you guys to listen to what we have to offer. Yeah, so my uh, rough plan in terms of editing those interviews is uh, generally I'm going to try to release one episode a month and we'll see how that goes. Awesome. And so I probably will wait to release our first episode until I have multiple ones edited. That way mm -hmm. I know I can have some kind of schedule like that. Um, and at that point, depending on how many interviews we have at that, once we're ready to release them, I might uh, even release multiple uh, like in the first month, just so people can get to know us and get to get a better idea of what we're planning on doing. Sounds good. Yep. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, if you hear some noise, it's a buck, little puppy dog, bonsai time. Um, he should be settling down here shortly, so don't mind the, don't mind the bucked buckaroo being bucky. Um, so Ryan, I'm going to start with you. How did you get started in bonsai? Well, see... We are sitting here in Columbus, Ohio right now, which is where I was born and raised. And I've been into bonsai since about when I was eight. So the, at that time was the first time I went to Franklin Park Conservatory, which is a, basically a big botanical greenhouse type place here in Columbus. So they've got rooms for the desert or uh, Himalaya mountains and rainforest, all these different areas of their conservatory. And then they also have a bonsai collection there. So uh, the first time that I saw their collection, I must have been very 
enthralled, we'll say, because mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I was eight, I don't have a whole lot of clear memories about that, but I somehow convinced my mom to let me bring home a little $10 pre-bonsai tree nice. and a, a Colin Lewis's Bonsai Survival Manual, which was a very useful book for me because I eventually, you know, mm. eight-year-old forgets to water, killed the tree. Right. I had the book. I would flip through the pages of the book right. and reread everything. And then, right. Uh, so I got another tree. And then there was a little bit of a psych- learning cycle of getting trees and killing one or two. But then I still have uh, two of my earliest trees. So, you know, eventually you keep more alive than you kill. Right. And Or we hope to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So biggest lesson first off that I had was you got to have someone water while you're on vacation. So with childhood, you know, going to Franklin Park Conservatory, which is a wonderful conservatory, um, the bonsai is getting better all the time. Um, you moved to Seattle, correct? Mm, for yeah. school? You went yeah. to University of Washington, UW? Yeah, so I was very... I can get rid of Buck if we need to. You might want to. But come here. Anyways, so in terms of... Uh, so back to what we're saying. You getting moved to into bonsai, yeah. So the first 10 years from 8 to 18... Just learning how to water, doing a few basic things, repotting and trimming a little bit. But uh, And you learned all that from the book? or Yeah, book, trial and error, maybe like one of those intro classes at Franklin Park Conservatory. Right, right. And uh, then I went to college, and I did go to college in Seattle, like you mentioned. Mm. So I was living in the dorms. I've got to catch my breath after getting back out. <laughs> <laughs> You're good. Anyways, I was living in the dorms. And uh, I kind of wanted to have a bonsai tree again. So we, I guess I'll, that part's not that consequential, but I was definitely still having bonsai on my mind. And mm. at a certain point in my sophomore year, I was looking for internships, mm. as you do in college. And I wasn't really sure that I would find one because it was like getting to be April and pretty close to summer. So I started... Uh, I don't know, I, I had been seeing the Bonsai subreddit, and I had been seeing Graham Potter's YouTube videos, and that, those carving videos of Graham Potter's in particular really inspired me, showed me what was possible in Bonsai with some more advanced techniques, mm-hmm. and so then I was starting to think along the lines of, okay, maybe instead of a regular, you know, science internship, maybe I would go and find a Bonsai apprenticeship instead. Mm-hmm because I had heard some of those stories online. And uh, so I just started contacting random people and who I had seen online who were very present in the community and knowledgeable. And one of those people that I contacted was, it turned out to be Dan Robinson's first student. Mm. So he was very active on the Bonsai subreddit. Mm. He was a moderator on that subreddit. And every time he, he responded to people's questions, he had very detailed paragraphs. And he seemed like he knew a lot. So I was like, this is a good person to learn from. Nice. And in the subreddit, everyone fills out their location. So he just said he was in Pacific Northwest. And I was like, oh, so that's kind of close. And he said, come out, take a ferry to the garden. And he showed me around. And I met Dan both at the garden and then also one time at the uh, Pacific, or sorry, the Puget Sound Bonsai Association meeting. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I just started going to Dan's garden every week. And so it's kind of, I guess, I got really lucky because right. I had such a 
great bonsai talent in Seattle when I was looking for a teacher, when I was looking to learn more. So kind of like a snowball effect. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. And the irony is, it was Dan or it was uh, Grant Potter's carving videos that inspired me to get more involved in bonsai, and then Dan Robinson was one of the first, or maybe the first, uh, people to use those power tools to carve bonsai to make natural, to make dead wood into something that looks more natural. That you saw. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. So I did get to learn a lot about that. And I pretty much went to Dan's place once a week for close to four years. Some, maybe some gaps where I, maybe it was more like once a month, but mm -hmm. you know, we do what we can. Mm -hmm. Right. So I tried to make the most out of that learning experience for sure. Nice. Mm -hmm. So at this time now you've come back to uh, Columbus, Ohio, you yep. know, we met, uh, online briefly because I messaged you when I moved here from Portland, Oregon mm -hmm. uh, about your blog, uh, which is titled uh, right to tree right to com. Yes. Um, we'll put links in that as well mm -hmm. and also in the description of the podcast. Um, within that, I had asked you if you were still in town because I knew mm -hmm. nobody, you know, you know, nobody from nothing out here. Mm -hmm. um, and uh you had said you were in Seattle, and then you messaged me saying that you were coming possibly to Columbus mm -hmm. uh, to do um, your PhD. Now that you're in your PhD for the second year, you're yep, here? second year, right? microbiology. Um, congratulations on that as well, again. Mm -hmm. um, what are your plans, and what have you noticed in your own bonsai practice as far as uh, growth? things that you're looking forward to while being in Columbus or things that you've seen change since you left Columbus? And were you a part of the Columbus Sponsor Society um, when you were here? Mm. So I'll try to tackle this question in stages. So yeah. uh, when I was here at like age, you know, eight to 18, I had heard that there was a Columbus club, but I didn't have that many trees and it was just kind of like, I kept them alive, but I wasn't as involved as I am now. Right. So I heard there was a club, but I never really went to it, never went to any of their events. Uh, I didn't really know what they did, honestly. Right. And then it was only later when I was in Seattle that I realized the value of the club and like having the guest artists and not even the only the guest artists, but I think events like uh, when clubs have a bring your own tree kind of workshop and you can work along work on your tree mm -hmm. alongside someone who's more experienced, you can learn a lot in that way. Right. So I ended up joining the board of the Seattle club and then uh, trying to help them organize things. And then I came back here mm. and now I'm on the board of the Columbus club. So, right. right. Yeah. I don't know a whole lot about what the Columbus club was doing before, but I know I have some experience based on what the Seattle club was doing and I'm trying to bring some of that uh, to bear here, you could say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm just looking forward to helping the club out where possible, given my my work schedule and everything, you know. Right. And uh, in terms of my own bonsai, my goal, my main goal in Columbus, first and foremost, my goal uh, for my own collection is to have at least one tree that I would say is like to a, a finished state that I can see it at a London Gardens or at a national show or something like that. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm working towards. And that. Uh, you know, it just takes a lot of practice and patience. Mm -hmm. So practice your skills and then work on a tree over a period of time and you'll eventually get there, right? Right. Sounds easy. In theory. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So I, I have some trees that uh, I've done a lot of, I mean, some trees that I've done like a first styling on 
for first carving on, but then they have a lot of other things that they, they need more time to develop their branch structure or their trunks and things. Um, so it is what it is, but I'm enjoying nice. the process, which yeah. is the important part. And then you'd also asked about, I guess that's things I'm looking forward to in my collection, but mm -hmm. things I'm looking forward to in Ohio bonsai at large. Yeah. Um, I'm really trying to explore the local native species here in Ohio. Mm -hmm. So I have some family connections that own some land that right. um, we had seen. And so I've dug up a large sugar maple. Uh, some people, I mean, it's not really been tested as a species for bonsai as far as I've found. And some species that we do have here that are native, like the American beech or uh, pitch pine, right. those are tested for bonsai and those are bound to work well. So I'm definitely keeping my eyes open to finding more areas where we can collect Yamadori here in Ohio. Right. And then I'm specifically trying to find a, an area of land where the private landowner is willing to permit the club to bring people maybe once a year to come dig up some trees. Nice. So that's my, my focus right now for, uh, I guess, my involvement in the club. Because right. a lot of, actually, there's very few people here that are using the native Ohio species. It's mm. mostly like Rocky Mountain species or things like that. Nice. Or Japanese and Chinese species, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess I can talk a little bit about my background as well, since we're doing introductions. Um, yeah, yeah. How did you get started in bonsai, Kevin? So I grew up in Oregon, uh, outside Portland, in a small town, uh, now a bustling suburb called Walton, Oregon. Um, grew up there for a majority of my life and worked in and around Oregon, Washington, Idaho, doing construction for a lot of my life. Uh, the first memory I have of bonsai was probably when I was about seven, six, seven or eight, um, there used to be a store called Kmart that I'm pretty sure most people know of those or mm. have read about those. Um, no longer in existence. But um, I remember a van selling small trees in the Kmart parking lot, and I asked my mom at the time if we could stop. And, you know, moms, being moms, they're busy as always, and, mm. you know, extracurricular activities are not always uh, suitable, <laughs> especially with a little kid. Mm -hmm. um, she said, no, we're not stopping. We don't have time. And second, too expensive. Mm. So, you know, there was that double whammy on that but ever since then I saw those I was just so intrigued by it and ever since you know growing up camping in the Pacific Northwest and on the coast and you know just being around trees ever since I was a kid playing in the forest and I was a kid with my friends in the wetlands you know being around nature always uh, given where I was you know born and living um, has just always been in my blood mm -hmm. uh, when I got full-on lifestyle change of bonsai, it was almost overnight immediately. Um, I skateboarded majority of my life, so my passion for what I have, a passion is like my life guiding, like passion. Realized I didn't want to hurt or injure myself anymore with skateboarding. I still love it and still ride around, but not like it was. I was at my office when I was doing massage therapy in Portland, and I went on a break, and I went to a store called uh, New Seasons, similar to Whole Foods. Mm -hmm. uh, Almost the exact same, just different uh, different allocation of things. Uh, they had a nursery area, and they had a little Hinoki um, cypress and a little golden cypress. And I was like, I looked at those, and I said to myself, I'm going to buy those, and I'm going to do bonsai. And other than that, I had no real idea to go forward with it but I came home with it my now wife uh said what are you doing with those 
Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to do bonsai. She's like, do you even know what that is? I'm like, no. So I went to Pal's Books, bought a Bonsai 101 book from Colin Lewis. <laughs> and uh, read that on the bus going back home uh, when I was living on the east side. And that was probably around December, January maybe. Mm-hmm. Did a repot, had no idea. Did ah. what I thought was intuitively right, which it was. Mm-hmm. Um, added some soil substrates. I looked on YouTube. Found a few people like Ryan Neal, Michael Hagedorn. Um, you know, being in Oregon, there was such a vast amount of uh, knowledge there mm-hmm. for this small area, you know, being Portland and surrounding area. Um, so I was very fortunate at that time. And then got word that my wife had applied to a PhD program and was accepted to all three. And we chose to go to Ohio. Um, because I figured we could drive there. The climate wasn't as bad as Iowa, and we didn't have to fly into Hawaii. (laughs) And the prices seemed a little more affordable for housing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I get here, didn't know anybody. Like I said, I had messaged you. Uh, Went to the national show my first time in 2018 when I moved out here. Tried to network as well as I could without knowing anyone, you know, Mm -hmm. two ways from Sunday. (laughs) And I ended up in Indiana, uh, about the second month I was in town. Uh, my wife is doing a conference, and I didn't want to just sit in a car for six hours, so I started calling people up that were in bonsai out there that I looked on the Google registry kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Found Mark Fields, uh-huh. called him up, cold called him, and said, hey, can I stop by? Mm-hmm. I met you at the national show, uh, you know, found a nice bottle of wine, as a thank you gift for last minute invite, um, or self-invitation, really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, sure enough, um, Got there, then I met him, asked him before I left to meet up with my wife after being there for five hours cleaning bonsai and helping with whatever. Um, and if he knew anyone in town locally, because I was, you know, in a desert of bonsai, mm-hmm. only relying on my people that I had from Oregon that were not in this climate. Mm-hmm. Um, so I met Rob Hoffman. We both know him now. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you know. Then I realized I wanted to start school again for my bachelor's, mm-hmm. um, and now I'm going for horticulture. Okay. And at that time, what was uh, Rob's involvement in the local bonsai scene here? So it took a while for me to actually get into the club, because when I first mm-hmm. got into town, I had helped open up a restaurant mm-hmm. um, with cooking in that way. And so my time was literally living at the restaurant. Um, didn't have a lot of time to work on my trees. I would water them, mm-hmm. fertilize them, maybe trim session every now and then. Uh, very sparse, very limited on time. So Rob and I would chat. I would barely able, was able to make it to any club meetings as I was usually working on Sundays, mm-hmm. most times seven days a week. And I talked to Rob more so often and then ended up going to a couple club meetings and you know we started talking about our journeys and we both realized we were on the straight and forward path of just like we want to do bonsai as a life, mm-hmm. you know, life, something in our life and to promote our life to be better. Um, he then propositioned me and the idea of what do you think if I started a nursery out here? I said, go for it. You know, it's an idea of talking amongst friends and quarantine happened, called me up and said, Hey, I need your help to build this nursery. So then I helped him build his, um, um, actual physical nursery in Marysville, Mm -hmm. Ohio, which has been quite prosperous for everyone in the community, I believe. And as well as in the. The, the rust belt. Yeah. You know. Honestly, I've only been here after that nursery was built, and it's hard to imagine getting all of the things that you would need 
yeah. for Bonsai without Rob there. And yeah. Even only how many? Two years in now. A little over two, yeah, because it it was it had it had been around for about a year before the quarantine happened in twenty twenty in March, and then the physical application of the benches going up. Because um, when I first moved to town and met him, he called me up actually. Uh, retract on that. He called me up and asked me to help build a, build a hoop house greenhouse mm-hmm. for him, and that's where I met Jack, the old president of the club, Jack Smith, mm-hmm. and then um, met Rob Rob Hoffman, and uh, we built it because he knew my. Uh, I told him my background was in construction, so he's like, oh, cool. You'll know what to do. You can read a tape measure. I'm like, for sure. Mm-hmm. And kind of blossomed this beautiful friendship that we all have now. Um, yeah, it was a little rough, you know. Luckily for me, I had the intention of driving across the country with my now wife mm-hmm. uh, to have her experience the vastness of America. But I also had moved most of my life with me uh, as I had never lived really anywhere else besides Oregon, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Japan for a month when I didn't know my wife and, uh, you know, Mexico when I was younger for a month as well mm-hmm. at certain times in my life, um, traveled, you know, um, but I always went back to Oregon, but I had a friend and communities out there that were, you know, selling things like Akadama soils, pots. So mm-hmm. I had, had, a. a made a big bulk purchase and put it all in the big Penske coming over and that ran out really fast. And as lo and behold, as you said, you can't imagine it was, you know, talking to people that had been here before Rob had opened that. It was mm-hmm. uh, like a desert, you know? Um, yeah. You know, going forward, I met you and then we, I don't remember who brought it up, but we wanted to, I think, equally start a podcast, but didn't know where to start one. Yeah. How did that come about? I don't remember. I had experimented with the idea also back in quarantine. Right. Uh, So if people go to my YouTube channel, uh, there there is a few segments from, you could say, an interview with Julian Tsai and Andy Bello. Right. Um, So my original idea was, I was going to interview other people who are up and coming in Bonside because maybe the experience of people who are actively in the throes of trying to wrap their brains around uh, how to make a, a tree or, you know, a bush into a natural tree, uh, like those people might have a different perspective from a teaching perspective, especially right. than the people who have been doing it so long that it's automatic. Right. So that was my original idea. And we'll still incorporate some interviews with up and coming people like that. But yeah. Uh, yeah, so I did that one interview with them, and then, you know, at that time, I honestly wasn't very dedicated to the idea, we'll say, uh, so I, like, released some of those segments, and I still have some unedited, which I'll get to eventually, uh, but honestly, this this collaboration is good because uh, it will help me stay more disciplined, you could say, so I, I have a lot of different avenues through which I try to teach bonsai. Right. Um, for me, teaching... I mean, in my field, I'm, my day job is a microbiology graduate student. So teaching is inherent to being a graduate student. You're teaching the undergrads, and you're learning from your supervisor at the same time. And from everything that I've heard in the, I guess, field of teaching research, uh, if you are teaching something, you will learn it better. Hmm. So, I mean, there, there's some uh, maybe ulterior motive, you could say, why people who are trying to learn bonsai should try to also teach to other people because they'll learn how to make bonsai better. I think that goes with anything, though, you know, yeah. like in a kitchen. Yeah. The, the seniority is that once you move up to a different station, whether you start in mm-hmm. the cold station 
and go to fry or whatever and then the middle and then the top station where you're actually making the main main courses usually mm-hmm. or you're pairing with main courses with middle you have to teach the person below yeah if you're even up to the top sous chef whatever you're still teaching everyone else everyone is teaching everyone mm-hmm. just like in construction too you always have to teach the I don't want to say grunt, but the new person or mm. the unknowing person of what your task is that day. I don't think there's any ulterior motive. I just think you want to get better at what you're doing. Yeah. Because the, yeah. the best way to do it is to, you know, when you're learning to teach because then you know where you messed up too. Yeah. It's almost like uh, subconsciously, like you get this benefit. But at this point, teaching is almost hardwired for me because I'm doing right. it my day job. And I, if I become a professor one day, that'll be... Also, it makes you a better big teacher. Part of the job. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I also come at it from the perspective of uh, in my teaching sections and at OSU, you know, I have these 8 a.m. students that I have to present a PowerPoint to them. And I'm like, right. how do I present this PowerPoint in a way that they're not falling asleep on me at 8 in the morning? Right. So right. Um, in the my bonsai world teaching, I also am going to try to experiment with ways that people can receive this information better. Right. And uh, I think it's just going to be a positive feedback loop between the two. Right. I guess my two worlds, you could say. Right. No, that's good. Similar to me, you know, as far as with the podcast and what I want to do with it and what I want out of it for people is just to get this other side. You know, there's a lot of podcasts out with Bonsai right now and Mm -hmm. mainly done by professionals. In no way are we professional. We are practitioners of the art and always a student, as the professionals will say, a student as well, but Mm -hmm. just more gained knowledge because of uh, ability to fully concentrate. You know, mm-hmm. we have live... There's, there's a spectrum. You exactly. Know? We're and, along you know, the spectrum. You know, I have my own landscape and design company, you know, that I started in August after I lost my job quarantine mm-hmm. of summer of 2021, just this last year, which has been really great and wonderful. As in the same way, I'm teaching my clients, you know, I have mm-hmm. client questions. I teach, you know, things with just people in random areas. You know, if I can talk about trees, I'll talk about trees all day. Mm-hmm. But it goes to, as well, you know, my mom is a teacher, first and second grade in Oregon, in Sandy, Oregon, the base of Mount Hood, a little small town. And uh, my wife is from Japan, as you know, and we would go into her class when we were living in Oregon and still online and have a Japan day. Mm-hmm. And I would teach the kids just about trees of bonsai. And my idea with this podcast, like I was saying, is to get more outreach to people that don't know about it or have some inclination with it, but want to know more information in a... Mm-hmm in a way that they can relate to the people offering the information or just talking about it. You know, so I figure we're more educational and tool, but also more educational with given information and just people and their stories. Yeah. Because, yeah. and there are, you know, every tree has a story. Every bonsai artist also has their own story. With so. that tree and with themselves. Yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of, uh, I guess there's two sides of that challenge of getting more stories out. Like when I first started my bonsai blog, I, the main reason I started it was because I had never heard of Dan Robinson. And right. I was learning under him. I was like, how do more people not know about this? But right. he's not online at all. So no. No. Uh, it was another maybe information desert. Dare I say he's a lucky that. one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then there's, so there's those types of people out there who are really good at bonsai and not that involved in promoting their bonsai, though, right. you could say. And then there's also those types of people out there that are, learning bonsai, um, like there's so many great apprentices in Japan right now, and they're technically uh, almost perfect, but they don't have time necessarily to tell all of these stories about their work. They can throw a few pictures on Instagram, but maybe we can reach some more 
deeper explanations with them that would be useful for the people at home. Right. Yeah. And the thing is, too, is, you know, there is a cultural difference, you know, um, just with what they're learning there compared to here. Mm-hmm. As many professionals I've met, um, be they Matt Real, Ryan Neal, you know, Michael Hagedorn, all these people on the West Coast, met people on the East Coast, Chase Rosade, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Bill Ravonis, all these people, uh, they're in the idea that what they're learning over there is, like I said, almost perfect, but in the institutionalized aspect. Uh, not the institutionalized form, but the idea that it's a cultural form that's not in our culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and coming back and having to learn some Native American species, mm-hmm. you know, Native to the America of the United States, being that some of the things they've learned over there don't apply here. Rocking on juniper, you know, mm-hmm. certain handling aspects, especially with the approach of seasonality. Yeah, and um, anywhere, um, like that is a unique challenge to those apprentices, but even you and I would have experienced it transforming our knowledge from working in the Pacific Northwest yeah. to teachers here is always going to be an adjustment. Full, yeah, I'll fully agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean, in a sense, I figure where we're at now, we are able to, in theory, help more people just in certain uh, aspects because we are close enough to the East Coast. We know what goes mm-hmm. on as far as weather and, you know, the Bible Belt, Kansas, Missouri, all those. We're right in the middle of the Rust Belt, but we've also had the experience in the Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm. We're just missing the Southwest <laughs> and the Southeast. But within the cold climates and inconsistent weather changes and weather patterns that we have in Ohio, mm-hmm. I think it gives us not an upper edge of any kind, but just a different experience. Yeah. And be able to uh, uh, roll with the punches, so to speak. Yeah. And, you know, you bring up an interesting point. As, you know, climates are changing and yep. Portland had that, what, 117 degree? 119 yeah, something this year. We we'll almost have to borrow uh, ideas about how to ha- help our plants cope with those types of extreme weather scenarios. Yeah. Like, I'm sure if you were out in Portland and you had a friend in Arizona, you'd call your friend in Arizona and be like, okay, what do I do when it's 120 degrees outside? Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, there's the professional, Michael's, uh, Michael Hagedorn's first apprentice, uh, Bobby Curtright. Mm. Um, apologies on the mispronunciation if there was any on the name. Uh, um, it's always a risk of, <laughs> of spoken media, you know? Yeah. Um, I've chatted with him when I first moved out here and he and a few other professionals told me, it's like, wow, Bonsai in the Midwest or in that area, you got to really want it mm-hmm. because it's very uh, cold. <laughs> it's uh, you got some extremes. inconsistent yeah. and gets to negatives. It gets, you know, we're not anything like the Dakotas or Wyoming, but inconsistently, you know, just this year we had December where it was high 50s mm-hmm. and now we've just hit 34. We're going to be 39 today with a 22 degree drop. Yeah, when I explain to people what winters in Ohio are like, it's like, it's colder than Seattle, but it comes up and down, you know? Yeah. So, it, yeah. the snow falls and then it thaws, yeah. that kind of cycle. Yeah. So, not great for trees that, you know, if they're very delicate, some species they need like perfectly uh, continuous cold weather to maintain their dormancy, but uh, some species, I mean, we've got plenty of species out here that... Yeah. Don't mind. So yeah, yeah, you can find things that work. Some work, some don't work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that's a pretty good introduction interview uh, as far as all things considered. Um, so yeah, just be on the lookout. Do you have anything more to add as far as? Um, you know, one thing that we didn't talk about that I was wondering. Hmm. So I was wondering what your goals 
maybe short and long term in bonsai were. Gotcha. I think you might have skipped over that. Oh yeah, um, short term would be to you know help implement a better understanding and bring bonsai to the Ohio State University campus. Mm. Um, the reason I said short term is because as in theory, I have two years left at Ohio State as I just started this semester, and I want to implement a lot of things there with the, that. Long term, I have some ideas of how to help people get back into nature with bonsai. Um, mm -hmm. But I can talk about that later. It's a long, drawn-out scenario that I'm still working on, so it's not set in stone. Mm -hmm. But more just educational, but also to be somehow, if I have the ability to do it, somewhat professionally, um, ideally. And dare I say, maybe travel if granted the access, or mm -hmm. just even local travel would be fine too. But ultimately just get people into nature, whether it be miniaturized or get them out to a forest. Not everybody has the ability to get out to a full-fledged forest mm -hmm. or to go see a river, but you can bring them a small tree in their house and they can look at that for days. But they have to water. <laughs> yeah. That watering is the biggest learning curve at the beginning. Right. Yeah. I think that about covers from all of my perspectives. Okay. And, and how about you? Well, um, yeah, I think ultimately, I guess I want to get to a place where once I have a tree that is, I think is worthy of a, you know, a big show, then I could see myself trying to become more involved in uh, like hands-on teaching and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, so that I'm just gonna kind of take as it goes. I've, I do have some clients already that I do like video consulting with and um, if people find that useful, then I'm happy to do it, you know? Nice. Yeah, nice. so some places where you're, especially if you're far from a bonsai club, right? like those types of people, video consulting can be especially useful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is true. Um, but I guess that's one good thing about COVID is everyone knows how to do Zoom now. And Zoom, we're Google Hangouts. more connected yeah. than we were before. Sorry, kids, no more snow days, but yeah, uh, that is true. bonsai that is on every day. Cons, you know? <laughs> I'll take the bonsai over snow day anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to plan long term, but I'm trying to be rooted in goals in mind, enjoying the trees, yeah, and then everything else come as it may. The goals for ourselves, including trees and our partners. <laughs> yeah, so I guess I should I should make the addendum of enjoying the trees, learning about the trees, and uh, this year I'm going to be focused on this podcast project. Try to be consistent with it, nice. whereas before I'm I'm maybe scatterbrained. I'll admit. But uh, partnering on a podcast is good because we'll keep each other in check. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. Plus yeah. Yamadori and everything else. Mm -hmm. cool. Today's episode has been recorded, produced, and edited by Kevin Ferris and Ryan Houston. Our music was provided by MIDI Cancer. To find more music from MIDI Cancer, check out their SoundCloud and Bandcamp pages. To find more information on the podcast, please check out our Instagram page, Bonsai Time Podcast, and our website, bonsaitimepodcast.com. To stay in touch with us, Kevin's Instagram is Kevin underscore ferris pnw and ryan's website is right2tree2.com you can find these links in the description below thank you for listening and bonsai on